Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Had a good morning so far. How many of you guys appreciate the Word of God? Do you love the Word of God? Anybody in here? I hope you do. Uh, we, we live in a day and age for sure, but regardless of, of that, uh, God has designed us to stay tethered to Him. And one of the only ways that we can stay tethered to Him is by knowing His Word and being uncompromising in His Word. We live in a culture where they try to move the goalposts of truth constantly. Uh, and that's why we need the Word, because the Word doesn't move when it comes to truth. Uh, but I want to share uh, this verse. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with it and, uh, and kind of break it down a little bit as we go into the sermon today. In Galatians 5.19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Okay, so sexual immorality, I think it's important that we identify because, you know, what does that mean? What is it to be sexually immoral? Okay, well, what you have to do is you have to look at what was God's design and intent. Because anything outside of God's design and intent winds up going into sexual immorality. So God's original design and intent is that all sexual experience happens within the context of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. That's God's design. Okay, so when we, when we drift outside of that, and, and, and I'm not saying that people don't struggle. People don't, don't have seasons of their lives. Some of you, you have heartache from your past. Some of you have walked through the heartache of, of being in sexual sin before, whatever, whatever that context may be, okay? But when you reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, reject his design, then that's what winds up leading towards immorality, where you're just drifting further and further away from what he has for you, okay? So I think it's important we understand what they mean by sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. Okay, so idolatry, that's important too, because when you're just reading this scripture within the context of the word, you think, well, idolatry is graven images, and, and that was the case, especially with a lot of the cultures that Paul is trying to address. I mean, the, the Greeks, the Romans, these guys, they had tons of gods, lots of graven images of their gods, and we might think about it that way. But you have to understand that, that what God is saying is anything that we put as a higher priority than him, than relationship with him, that becomes an idol. Okay, so that can mean you can make your spouse an idol. When your, your spouse becomes more of a priority, you put more of your value, more of your identity in your spouse than you do in your heavenly father, than you do in Jesus, your spouse can become an idol. You can struggle with idolatry. If you, you can make your kids an idol, you can make your kids an idol. How do you know if something's become an idol? It's by what you ascribe worth to. 
and how you ascribe worth to it. So how do you ascribe worth? By using the things that God has given you. What has God given you? He's given you time. He's given you talents. And he's given you treasure. When those areas of your life become disproportionately spent on someone, something more than they're committed to and focused towards God and his kingdom, any of those things can become an idol. Careers can become idols. Really nice ski boats can become idols. There's a lot of things that can become idols. So, so that's God's intention, his heart, okay? Sorcery, okay? Now, there might be some of you, you may have come from a past. I don't know, we might have some Wiccans or witches in the room. I don't know what you're coming in with. I'm glad that you, you're here if you're in the middle of all that. But a lot of you are not like, yeah, I was actually warming up my Ouija board before I came to church this morning, okay? So most of you, you're not, you're not in that. You're not, you know, you're not doing spells and, and stuff like that. But do you know what the word actually equivocates sorcery or another word witchcraft with? Rebellion. It says that rebellion and witchcraft, sorcery, they're, they're the same thing. Which, it just basically means like, I'm not interested in what God has. I want my own thing. I'm gonna do it my way. When you rebel against established authority even, hello, even that would be equivocated to sorcery, witchcraft, if you're in rebellion, okay? Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger on 167. Selfish ambition at Starbucks. Dissension, division, okay? As we're going through this list, all of a sudden it's like, okay, how many of you have ever struggled with any of these things? Raise your hand. Don't lie in church. Every person's hand should be up right now. I'm just trying to cue you in on this, okay? I mean, we've all struggled with these things. So I want to talk about that division piece for a second. Our pastor would say it this way. The problem with the church is not the sin of the world, but the problem with the world is the sin of the church. But you know what one of the greatest sins in the church is when there's divisiveness in the church. I want you to know this is never gonna be a church where you can come in and badmouth another church. This is never gonna be a church where you can come in and say how much you dislike, didn't like their worship, their leader, that pastor. This is not gonna be a church where that's gonna be welcomed. I understand that people come into this church with church hurt. I have church hurt. I've been hurt by you. I'm still here. Because the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is bigger than just me. There's a greater purpose in it than a hurt or an offense that I tried to carry around. And I believe with all my heart that one of the things that grieves the Holy Spirit and grieves the heart of God more than anything right now is when Christians badmouth other Christians. 
When we, and, I, and here's the thing, you can know this. You can know this. The word says, not many of you should presume to be teachers because we who teach will be judged more strictly. So if there are weak, broken, faulty leaders, by the way, they're all broken. They're all faulty. They will all make mistakes. I'm not saying there doesn't need to be accountability. I'm not saying that they don't need to be held accountable, but you can know this. It's God's job to hold them accountable, not ours. We don't have to do that. They will stand before God. They will have to deal with it. I promise you. As a pastor, as a preacher, I walk in the fear of God about verses like that. Like I understand, okay? What is our role and responsibility? Our role and responsibility is to pray for the body of Christ. Pray for pastors. Pray for unity in the body of Christ because you've gotta know this. When Jesus returns, he's returning for his bride. He's returning for the body of Christ, not his favorite part of the body of Christ. He's not gonna come back and be like, you were a good arm, you were a good arm, you foot didn't like you. I didn't like your style of church. I didn't know he's coming back for the whole body of Christ. As a church, we have to be a church that fights for the unity of the spirit within the body of Christ. So if you hear or see anything in news, documentaries, anything like that, I would encourage you, stay away from facilitating division in the body of Christ. Stay away from it. Pray for them. Pray for them because prayer works. They will be held accountable at one point or another, whether it's here on earth or at the judgment throne, they'll be held accountable. Our responsibility, pray for unity in the body of Christ. Are you with me? Okay, I hope so. If not, there's a lot of other churches around here you might like more. I'm just gonna throw that out here. (laughs) Division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. Okay, Look, it's not that you can't struggle with some of these things. It's like, man, I haven't quite broken that addiction. Man, I, I do party. I still have a problem with drinking. I love the Lord. I'm trying to walk out repentance. Sanctification is a process. Man, I still struggle. I, I, I still look at some stuff on my computer I know I shouldn't look at, and I try to keep it a secret. I, but, I, but I do have the faith that I can be healed and delivered. And you can be. You're going to need to find some accountability You're gonna need to confess where you're weak. You're gonna need to confess where there's brokenness so that you can find that healing. But but at the end of the day, all of us have struggled with these things. Okay, but a lot of times it's like, as Christians like, okay, don't do all those things. Don't do all those things. Don't do all those things. Sometimes we focus so much on all the things that we shouldn't do, we wind up doing those things. Okay, so when you become a Christian, it's not like, okay, don't do all those things and just, just hang on tight till Jesus comes. Don't sin and wait for heaven. No, let's go to the second part of the scripture. Let me tell you again, I have t- I have, as I've told you before, anything, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives, okay? So it's not just don't do all those things. No, when you become a Christ follower, you receive a portion of the Holy Spirit that produces These things should be coming out of us as Christ followers, okay? What are they? 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, there's nothing natural that can stand against what the Holy Spirit can produce in you and through you. Which also means there's nothing in the natural that should ever shut down the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If there's anything in the natural that would shut down the fruit of your Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you have to question if that was really from the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that out of all the attributes that Jesus exhibited, one of the most important attributes that we can exhibit, yes, servant leadership, yes, love, yes, compassion, yes, all those things. One of the greatest attributes that Jesus exhibited was he was unoffendable. Unoffendable. You will know the Holy Spirit's really doing a work in your life when you can continue to exhibit the fruit of who he is in the face of unfairness, in the face of offense. And out of all these things, honestly, recently, I've just been convicted that I am not as kind as I should be. It is tough sometimes to continue to be kind. Especially when you feel like, man, I was so kind to that person. I did everything I could to be kind to that person. And look at the way they treated me back. Look how they went on social media and put me on blast. Look how they, it's hard. Jesus knows a little bit about that. It's hard being kind. And so I wanna talk about the kindness of God and use a story in the life of David. There are a few things, not many, that can tear apart a family quite like the game of phase 10. It is vicious. Like it's pretty straightforward. All you do is you make sets and runs of numbers on cards. There's really nothing to it, but there are some cards in there like the skip card. And this is how that skip card works. Like in Uno, you play skip card, it just automatically skips the person next to you, right? Well, you gotta get rid of that card at one point or another to win the game, right? It's different in phase 10. Because in phase 10, you play the skip card and then you pick a person that's gonna get skipped. Then it's personal. Then it's not, I'm sorry, I had to play this at some point. You know, it's, no, I'm identifying you as the enemy that I'm going to try to destroy. And you would think, ah, big deal. It's just a game, right? Skip card every once in a while, not a big deal. Not in my family. All of a sudden, that whole dynamic changes. Voices change. The volume of those voices change. And it is a knockdown, drag out fight. It gets ugly pretty quick. Alliances form. You know, all of a sudden you're in gangs. But in spite of all of that, no matter what happens, the outcome is always the same. And that is why we renamed the game Cody Wins. 
And probably the most annoying thing about that is Cody stays so sweet the whole time. Mm. She's just such a good Christian. Playing games like Phase 10, Uno, Monopoly, Monopoly Deal. Honestly, it can be a deep spiritual experience. Because when you play those games, it shows you just how much work that Jesus still has to do in your heart and in your life. What I found is you skip me, I want to skip you. I try to be a kind person, but when it comes to these games, my kindness just kind of evaporates. It's gone. And I think it's true for all of us. Our kindness is largely based on this idea. You be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You get on my nerves, I'm going to put you on blast or delete you from social media. You do me wrong, well, depending on the wrong you did, you might be catching hands. So I want to look at a story that shows us a better kindness than our kindness. David writes, Psalm 63.3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Your kindness towards me, God, is so overwhelming. It's better than life. All I can do is lift my voice and praise you. Has anybody ever been so nice to you that it made you want to sing? Like, I came close at Chick-fil-A, but that's about it. It really is your pleasure. This chicken really is that good. Hallelujah. My kindness runs out. God's last forever. My kindness is conditional. God's kindness towards us, towards me, is unconditional. There's no strings attached. You know what you did? To get God to love you, nothing, not a thing. Romans 5.88 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While you were still a mess, jacked up in your sin, he was loving you even then, died for you in the middle of that. Before I made a move towards Christ, he made a move towards me. You can write that down. God's kindness is better than mine. God's kindness is better than mine. This kindness is demonstrated in the story of Mephibosheth. And I'm really proud of myself that I'm going to tell a story about a guy named Mephibosheth. Because that name is not easy to pronounce at all. I practiced a bunch. We've already talked about how there's a lot of things in David's life that we wouldn't want to copy. But there are moments in David's life where you can see the heart of God so clearly manifested. And I think it is in those moments that really is the reason why God said that David was a man after his own heart. The story of Mephibosheth paints a picture of God's loving kindness towards us. So a quick recap, David's life to this point. David is anointed to be the next king of Israel but there's a 15-year period from the time that he's anointed to when he actually steps in to that throne. And during that 15 years, a lot of things happen, a lot of life happens, that the primary thing that happens is Saul, the existing king, wants David dead. So he throws spears at him, he sends people to kill him, he goes himself to try to kill David. And after all that time, 
Saul and his sons, they're killed in battle. Actually, they kill themselves in battle. Now, David is king. When you become a king, it's certainly customary in that culture that if you become a king and you're taking over that throne from an existing family, you're going to find every member of that family and eliminate them because every member of that family would be a threat to your throne. That was just culture. But that's not what happens in this story. Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. So it seems natural that David would go out of his way to get rid of him, but David doesn't do that. In fact, he does the opposite. This interaction between Mephibosheth and David, I think it tells us a lot about God's heart towards us, and it shows us what his loving kindness looks like played out in real life. Teaches us some things about God's character. 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. David asks, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Okay, now, granted, David and Jonathan had an incredibly strong, close relationship. I mean, you may have had a BFF a time or two, but probably none of it compared to the kind of relationship that David and Jonathan had, okay? But it wasn't just about Jonathan because David honored loved and respects Saul, even while Saul was throwing spears at him. So he understood this, this idea and concept that is quite honestly lost on most of us in the day and age that we live in. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba at your service? He replied, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. It's interesting that you would lead, like, lead with that. I'll explain why. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Mekir, son of Amuel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amuel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor, to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. From surely, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should, should notice a dead dog like me? Here's some takeaways. First of all, sin breaks us. Sin breaks us. We don't know a ton about Mephibosheth except this. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, it says that Mephibosheth was, was dropped. And when he was dropped, both of his feet or both of his ankles were broke. They never healed correctly. So he is crippled. He's lame. In that culture, any malformity from disease or anything else, you're immediately a lower class citizen. Most people that were crippled, lame, anything like that, they wind up being homeless, begging for food, okay? And, and that would have been in the mindset of most of the people, even the people around David, like that's who this guy is. He, and the, here's the reason why, because in the religious mindset, 
even among the Israelites, the religious mindset is if you are crippled, if you are lame, if you have a disease, you did something to anger God. That's why you, you're in that spot. And anybody that did something to anger God should stay away from the righteous. They should be rejected. That's why people with leprosy had to declare that they were coming. They wore bells and would yell unclean when they would come around people. Okay, so just some context around why this is such a big deal that he's lame. Ziba says there's Mephibosheth, but he's lame in both feet. He's not really the kind of guy that you want around here. Trust me. And in fact, the name Mephibosheth means shameful one. Okay, like that's, that's, that's how unkind culture was. Like that you would name somebody based on their struggle. But a lot of us do the same thing. He was a broken man. He's living out in the middle of nowhere, low to bar, that's somewhere out around Mountainburg, Arkansas, I think. He's, he's, it's in the middle of nowhere. So he's physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually broke. Bringing him to the king's table, there's no benefit there. He's not a great warrior. He's not wealthy. He doesn't have a great name. He is a lame person who happens to be the descendant of the former king who tried to kill David most of his life. For you and me, this is where we find ourselves apart from Jesus, broken by sin, having nothing to bring to the king's table. Romans 3.23, for all, everybody say, that's me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've sinned, I've sinned, we've sinned, your mama has sinned, your papa has sinned. It's in our nature to sin. And sin always breaks things. When Cody and I got married, a few months after we got married, I thought it would be a great idea to get a puppy. Because I was like, it'll be good for us to find out if we can keep things alive. Should have gotten a plant. We got a chocolate lab. See? You know. Labs, they're extra. They just, they've got a lot of energy. They take a ton of time. We were busy people. It wasn't responsible for me to get. We did our best to train Charlie and he would do basic things, sit, come, play dead, basic stuff, basic stuff. But the thing about Charlie, he ate everything, everything. The trim in our house, gone. He ate it all. He ate it all. I had a 1992 Nissan Stanza, and it was super cool because it had one of those protective bras on the front of it. Y'all remember those? How else do you protect the paint on the front of your vehicle? And they were cool looking. Charlie ate the bra right off the front of my car. He just destroyed it. At one point, Cody and I were still taking classes. I ordered, we ordered $600 in books. Big old box of books, UPS guy, saw cute little Charlie and thought, I'll leave it right here for Charlie to protect it. We get home, it looked like somebody set off a confetti cannon. Charlie shredded, every, there was not even a small piece of a book left. Destroyed it all. And that was the struggle 
with Charlie. And what we learned about Charlie is it is Charlie's nature to destroy things. So then God called us to Arkansas. And I said, you know, I really feel like this is God telling us that it is time to give Charlie away. (laughs) So I found a really kind, loving, nurturing home for Charlie to go destroy. And, uh, And we let them adopt him. The fact of the matter is, without Christ, we're all a Charlie. We just destroy stuff. Sin breaks things. Every time. Without Jesus, that's where we are, broken in our sin. Our relationship with God is broken without Jesus. If you let sin in your marriage, it will end up broken. Your family will end up broken. Your future will end up broken apart from Jesus. Mephibosheth is you. And if that's where the story ended, this may be one of the most depressing sermons ever. But it doesn't. Ziba says, the only one left is Mephibosheth, but you don't want him. And I love David's response. Where is he? Where is he? The king asks, where is he? Oh, king, you don't want anything to do with him. He's useless. Where is he? Oh, king, his feet are broken. He can't get around. Where is he? Oh, king, they've made some big mistakes in their life. Where are they? But they messed up and everyone saw it. Everyone knows it. Where are they? But they raised their hand in church service before and then they went out and screwed everything up again. Where are they? Go get them. You may be broken. You may be messed up. You may be all sorts of things, but that does not stop God from pursuing you. Before you ever made a move towards him, he made a move towards you. Even when you didn't have anything to offer. Is there anyone I can bless? Bring them. Number two, God transforms us. So they get Mephibosheth. You can imagine they go out to his house in the sticks and Mephibosheth says, the time's come. They say, hey, David needs to see you. Have you ever sent a text to someone who just says, we need to talk? Every person that struggles with anxiety right now, your stress level goes way up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I just want to let you know that won't work with me. You send me a text that says, we need to talk. I'm responding with, what do we need to talk about? And we'll continue that conversation until you let me know what we're going to talk about because I'm not going to get ambushed by anybody, okay? Like, I want to know what we're talking about. David says, hey, Mephibosheth, we need to talk. And I know that at that point, Mephibosheth knows, like, what's customary, what the tradition is, and I'm sure he's thinking, this is it. He's found me. My life's over. The Bible says he throws himself before the king. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Look at how Mephibosheth sees himself. I'm a dead dog. David ends up adopting Mephibosheth into his family. He makes him like one of his own sons. God meets you right where you are 
but he doesn't leave you there. For the sinner that comes to know Christ, this is what he does for you. He adopts you into his family. Your brokenness doesn't define you anymore. Stop letting your identity be defined by your worst moments. Because that is exactly what the enemy will do. He will convince you that who you were at your worst day is what will be, define you all of your days. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. When you get saved, you're a new creation. That means you have a new heart, new spirit, a new life in Christ. This is what water baptism represents. Water baptism doesn't give that to you. It's a representation of you entering into that, a public declaration of saying, I'm new and I need y'all to hold me accountable. God calls you by name. He invited you to the table. He changed your identity. You're a son or daughter. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Of course, we know that David hadn't called Mephibosheth there to kill him. He called him there to bless him. Hmm. God is seeking someone to bless, not put on blast. God's kindness is full of mercy and grace. And a lot of times we use those words interchangeably, but they are different. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. In Titus 3, 4 through 5, it says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Number three, God restores us. Verse seven, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you, you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So I get it, you want to show some kindness, but this just seems a bit extravagant. Saul had some stuff, okay? He had a ton of land. Mephibosheth was living in a barren place. David says, I'm going to give you back all the pasture that belonged to your grandfather. It's yours. He was brought out of barrenness and restored him to a place of honor. He took his broken, handicapped person from a hiding place where he had nothing and brought him into a place of plenty to the very table of the king. That is what God has done for you if you've accepted Jesus. He's taken you from where you were and brought you to the very place that he is. The Bible says that Adam and God walked together in the cool of the day. Before sin, God's intent was for all of us just to be able to walk with him and have conversation with him. And sin broke that, separated that. The good news is because of Christ, because of the outpouring of his spirit, we can still walk and have dialogue with the King of Kings, the creation creator of the universe. But it won't be anything like we'll get to experience when we're finally taken away from this natural world, taken away from the brokenness and in his presence fully. But he does give us gifts and anointing, his word and his spirit because of Christ, we have access to those things. Christ restored the fellowship. We can know him again and be close to him. That is the kindness that he has called us with 
but it's also the kindness that he's called us to and to lead others to. I think there can be a tendency to get very comfortable. These chairs are way too comfortable sometimes. These walls, too comfortable. The AC, a little too comfortable. Some of you are like, no, it's way too cold. Y'all trying to kill everybody in this place. And for anybody that feels like it's cold, bring a blanket. You can always wear more clothing. The opposite becomes an issue. The point is, God showed you all that kindness. Not just so that you can experience it and say, I've got my salvation. Now I'm just going to hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. God didn't give you all that kindness so that you can just spend the rest of your life just trying to stiff arm sin, just try to protect your family, keep your kids in here. And like, oh, everybody, he didn't show you all that kindness and that grace and that mercy so you could just live your safe, protected focused on you life till Jesus comes back. He showed you that kindness and then commissioned you to go show that kindness. And we have to be a church that is on mission. I love coming together on Sunday, but this is all about you coming in, getting refreshed, getting recharged, getting into his presence, sometimes getting set free, sometimes getting set, being delivered, being filled up, all of that, but it's all for the purpose of getting out of this place and going into a lost, dark, and dying world that needs desperately to see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting out of Christians, to see kindness in real life. The problem is sometimes we don't have a difficult time being kind. We just like our kind, but not God's kindness. How do you know when it's God's kindness, when it is inconvenient, when it's sacrificial? Because most of us are not out there like, man, I've just got several hundred dollars I want to give away, carrying around a sign, say, I've got a few hours today. would love to be kind to somebody. No, those opportunities those favorable moments, those divine appointments always show up at the most inconvenient times in life. And the reason why that happens is because God is trying to see, do you have kingdom vision or do you have your own vision for your life? Can you see the need and are you willing to put aside your agenda to meet that need? God's given us his spirit. He's done everything. For me personally, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the things that helps me keep the fruit of the Spirit strong and manifesting in my life. It's my interaction with the Holy Spirit. Yes, my prayer language. Yes, being willing to give somebody a word when God leads me. Yes, stepping out in faith and believing and praying for healing for someone. Yes, when I'm obedient in those things, it helps the fruit of the Spirit stay strong so that when the divine appointment presents itself, it's not me, it's Christ in me that those people get to see. And it's funny because God will test you in this stuff. I'm in the middle of writing this message. 
Yesterday, I'm getting ready to leave the coffee shop that I've been preparing at. I get in my Jeep, ready to head home. This dude comes and knocks on my window. He's like, hey man, what's up? He's like, you, you got this, I got all these neat, can you, I, I'm like, oh man. Isn't that just like you, God? I'm on my way home. And so I, I'm not, I'm not saying. I might miss it more times than I get it. I know I do. But I just, I just said, okay, God, I've got, I can't miss this. I'm not a hero. I'm not anything. But I'm your son. And you showed me this kindness. And that's your son too. He needs to see that kindness. So I'm going to do what I can. That's it. Close your eyes, bow your heads. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, For all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Thomas Jefferson, when he was president, was riding with some of his men. And they came up to this river and there was a man on foot and he was there at the side of the river and there had been a lot of rain and it had gotten too dangerous to try to cross the river on foot. So the man, he looked at this group of men on these horses and he looked right at Thomas Jefferson and he said, sir, will you give me a ride across the river? And Thomas Jefferson, of course, allowed him. He, he got on his horse, he took him across the river. And once all the men and all those horses got across the river, they're getting ready to leave. And one of the men went to the, to the man on foot and he said, why was it that you picked the president to ask you to do this? And the man said, I didn't know that he was the president. I just looked at everyone's faces. And when you look at people's faces, you can see no faces and you can see yes faces. And that man had a yes face. You see, what God is looking for is he's looking for his children to have a yes face when it comes to the needs of the people that are around them. In 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is actively looking for this kind of loyalty and commitment to showing his kindness. When he says that his eyes search, another word that's used is they run. It's like a high-speed, aggressive search. God finds these kinds of hearts, these kinds of people, and he shows himself strong on their behalf. He fights for them. The context of the scripture is all about deliverance from an enemy that's invading when the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, God wants to answer by demonstrating his strength and awesome delivering power. But he needs people with singular focus on his kingdom, on his righteousness, on his glory, and have the faith to know everything else will be added unto them if they'll seek those things first. Father, I thank you for your word. 
I thank you that I get to be a part of a church and a church body of people that, that exhibit the fruit of your spirit so often. I just pray that we wouldn't get complacent. The fact is though, that there, there are some of you right now that you've never accepted the loving kindness of your heavenly father. It may be because somebody gave you a bad impression of who God is. You, you may think that God is just this angry, mad God. And some of you may be thinking, man, if I, here's the thing, if God ever gets a hold of me, all hell will break loose. No, I promise you, when God really gets a hold of you, all heaven is gonna break loose in your life. That's what's gonna happen. But the fact is, Jesus did everything. He paid the whole price. The only thing you have to do is accept it. You have to believe it. The way that he saves you is you have to surrender to him as savior, as Lord. And so there might be some of you, it's like, man, I've never done that. I've never, I've never experienced the loving kindness, mercy and grace of God. And that may be because you've never surrendered. Some of you, You've had glimpses of that. You may have even had a genuine encounter with God at some point. But you're in a place right now where you don't have any of those things. How can you know the fruit of the Spirit do not exist? You don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't have patience. You don't have kindness. There's no goodness. There's no hope. And maybe you just need to come back to him. And the fact is he's ready. He's, he wants to have that relationship with you. And if you're here and you know that you're away from him, you know you need to ask for forgiveness for your sin. You need to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and say, Restore me. Heal me. Forgive me. If that's you, I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to confess it, admit it. That is you. This is a sign of faith. And to know who I'm praying with, I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Once you put your hand up, let's make eye contact. As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Got you, dude. Thank you. Yes, got it. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus right now. Yes, sir. I'm away from him. I've never surrendered my life to him. I need to rededicate my life. Got you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Yes. Anyone else? Like you, it's not the raising of your hand that gets you saved, but it's obedience. It's an act of faith. And when you raise your hand, I know every person that has, man, you, as soon as you did that, it's like, man, I felt, I felt God's grace come and hit my heart. Anyone else? I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need to re rededicate my life. I need to come back to him. Anyone else? Thank you. 
that it? Thank you, dude. Respect that, man. The word says, when you're willing to be weak, his power is made perfect. Okay. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness to every one of these people. Thank you for meeting them right there, right where they're at. I don't know what that means. I don't know what all they're coming to you with. I know this, the cross is enough. It's more than enough. I wanna just pray with these folks. So I'd encourage you just repeat this prayer after me and, and do it with some volume because it's important for these people that they're able to really confess this. So repeat after me, say, Jesus, no louder, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness. I surrender my life to you. I believe you rose. You defeated sin so I can be free. You defeated death so I can have hope. But I'm not going to wait on heaven. I want to fulfill my purpose now. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for giving me a new life. I want to live for you. Father God, thank you for every person that said that prayer. And I thank you that you're not done working in this room yet. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone that is just feeling the brokenness, they love you, they've surrendered their life to you, but they've, they've spent a season where it's felt like they've been living in low bar. They've just been living away. And it may be because of decisions they've made, maybe sin they've allowed to come in, whatever it is, I pray that you would embolden them to come before your throne, to receive healing, to receive deliverance, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.